That is dangerously close to dancing, it looks like. <laughs> Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Here's a big time question that we're going to start with this morning. The question is, what do we do with what appears to be conflicts in our faith? What do we do with what appears to be conflicts in our faith? What do we do with things that seem not to reconcile or to not be right? There are some. Now, what do we do about that? Do we abandon our faith? Do we say, well, we can't make sense of it, so we're just not going to try to make sense? Do we gloss over our faith and say, well, that's why it's called faith. It's not supposed to make sense. It's not supposed to add up, and so we just overlook any issues. Or do we just keep going, ignoring any issues, like a little kid that covers their eyes. If you can't see it, it's not there. Do we just keep going? Or... Can we dig in? Can we look deeply? Can we be confident in the faith that we have built upon God's word? Well, here's what I want to tell you this morning. Here's what I want us to be sure of this morning, and that is this. God's word is truth. God's word is perfect, and therefore God's word will stand. And so I want you to know today we need not be afraid to dig in. We, not be, we need not be afraid to look more deeply, uh, to pray and seek God's wisdom, because when we do, we will always be blessed. Today our message is entitled, A Strange Story of a Wonderful Savior. A Strange Story of a Wonderful Savior. We're in the very last verse of John chapter 7, John 7, 53, and we're going to go through John chapter 8, verse 11. John chapter 7, verse 53, all the way to John chapter 8, verse 11. A strange story of a wonderful Savior. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. John chapter 7, verse 53, God's Word begins, it says this. Everyone went to his home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. 
and he was left alone. And the woman, where she was, in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, from now on, sin no more. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come today, we're thankful for you. We're thankful that you're kind. We're thankful that you're gracious. We're thankful that you so love us, that you in fact so love all. We're thankful for the truth of your word. We're thankful for 37 days to have endeavored into it, to have seen your glory, to have seen your majesty in it. Lord, I pray that we are changing. I know that we are. I pray that that today on this day that we would grow, that we would grow closer to you, that we would draw closer to you, that we would leave here today instructed, encouraged. Lord, I pray if there's one and maybe many that will hear this message. I pray that in the hearing of a kind and gracious Savior, in hearing the gospel of good news, that today might be the day of, of their salvation. Lord, I, I pray that you would move powerfully. I pray that you would move supernaturally. And I pray that in every bit of it, not that it would be normal, but in every bit of it, every piece of it, that your name would be lifted high. Lord, we love you, we worship you, we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You may be wondering why I have called this a strange story. Well, it is strange because most likely it does not happen right here in chronological order. Uh, most likely it happens about six months later. Most likely it happens during the Passion Week, during Jesus's last week. And so this is not actually where it fits. Now, it is strange because most likely it was not written by the apostle John. In fact, I believe it was written by Luke. It is strange because in the earliest manuscripts of the Bible, it is not even included in the Bible. And so it is certainly strange. Now, let me explain some of that to you this morning. Most scholars believe it is a true account. Most of them are certain of that. Most scholars believe it is an apostolic account, that it came from an apostle. Most of them are certain of that. Most scholars believe it was passed on orally through the church until there was some scribe that decided to put it in the written record. And so it is passed on in the church. It came from the apostles. And there was a scribe one day that decided to put it in the written record. Some people think it was excluded from the written record earlier because some earlier scribe thought it was too easy on adulterers. And so this, this person decided to leave it out of the written record. We do know that it meets the criteria of the biblical canon, which means that it comes from an apostle, it does not conflict with any other scripture, and it was considered God's word by the early church. In fact, it was used as God's word by the early church. And so it is indeed strange. I personally believe it does not fit here. 
I do believe it was written by Luke. I also believe it is the word of God, and so therefore it is valuable for our study. In our English translations, this is where it lands, and so this is where we will study it here today. Now let me just go ahead and say this. This is honest. Think about that. This is honest. If people were scared of this, they could just leave it out. If people were trying to hide something, either they could just leave it out or they could just never mention the facts that I have just mentioned. But instead, we can look today at many English translations. We can look at many original manuscripts, older and newer, and we can confidently, unashamedly evaluate it. Now, you ask why? Because God's word is truth. God's word is perfect, and God's word will stand. And so it is a strange story indeed. Are y'all still with me? It is a strange story of a wonderful Savior. Today, as I study for this, as I prepare for this, this is where we should be on this day. This is God's message for this day. And so today we look at a strange story of a wonderful Savior. John chapter 7, verse 53, the last verse of chapter 7 says this, everyone went to his home. Now, again, I believe this is during the Passover week. I believe this is during Jesus' last week. And the crowd, after the day's events, when the evening came, everyone went to their home. All right, moving to verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, if we're not sure here, if he goes to his friend's house, Mary and Martha, there in Bethany on the Mount of Olives, or if he went to some secluded spot on the Mount of Olives. We're not sure, but what is clear is that he separates from the crowd. The evening comes, the day's events have ended, and he travels outside of the city. He separates from the crowd, and there he stays for the night. In verse 2, really the action begins. Verse 2. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. On this day, Jesus makes his way back into Jerusalem, back into the city, and back into the temple. As was the custom of the rabbis, he finds a place to sit down, and the Bible says he began to teach them. Now, I think it's interesting here when we read this account, uh, he doesn't advertise where he's going to be. He doesn't tell a big group to meet me here. He doesn't have a publicist announcing it. But rather he goes to a place and he sits down and he begins to teach. And the Bible says, and the people began coming to him. Maybe they had heard him on some previous event. Maybe they had heard about him. But when they hear that he's teaching, the people begin coming to him. Now, what an awesome scene that must have, must have been. The Lamb of God, the Savior, God himself is in the temple 
and he's sitting and teaching. How, how marvelous that must have been. Can you imagine what it was like to, to hear him on that day? Maybe this was the day that he taught on the widow's mind and he saw the widow as she came in and he watched her as she dropped her two coins there in the temple treasury and plink, plink, they fall in the bottom of that can. Maybe this is the day he teaches about that. Or maybe this was a day that he astonished them as he told of his next coming and he told them the signs that they would look for. And he says, there will be wars and there'll be rumors of wars. Or maybe this was the day that he told of the, the parable of the wicked vine growers who would not receive the master's son. Maybe this was that day. Or maybe this was the day as he sat there in the temple courtyard that he told of the builders who had rejected the chief cornerstone. Whatever it was, here is the truth, teaching truth. What an awesome sight that must have been. How marvelous it must have been. The truth is teaching truth. Verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court. Now the scribes, they were experts in the law. They were considered lawyers. Uh, they were sought to interpret the law. That was their main business. Uh, the Pharisees, these are the group that promoted the law. They promoted keeping the law as the ultimate form of worship. Well, both of these folks, both of these groups are opposed to Jesus. We've seen that. Both of these groups, they hate Jesus. They deeply loathe Jesus. In fact, they're seeking to kill Jesus. It's not enough to arrest him. It's not enough to silence him. This group, these two groups are seeking to kill Jesus. The Bible says they brought a woman caught in adultery and they set her in the center of the court. Verse 4. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Teacher was a name of respect, rabbi. They hate Jesus. They do not respect Jesus. And yet they calmly, falsely call him teacher. They say, this woman, there she is. She sits there. This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. There she is in, in the very act. All eyes are on her. Can you imagine as they rustle and make their way in, as they bring her in and situate her there? All eyes are on her, caught in the very act of adultery. Here are some questions. Where is the man? Leviticus chapter 20 verse 10 says, they were both supposed to be stoned. Where's the man? Here's another question. Why bring her here? This, this was not the court. This was not the Sanhedrin. This was not the ruling counselor. This was no place to bring her. Why bring her here? Why bring her to Jesus? He is not a scribe. He's not a lawyer that can interpret the law. He's not one of their judges. His ruling at this point means nothing, and yet they set her in the center in the court in front of Jesus. Why bring her to Jesus? Verse 5. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. It's interesting they're supposed to stone such men as well. What then do you say? 
Again, it's Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. This is a sin in the law. It was punishable by death. They were both to be stoned and punished in death. And so they place her there and they turn to Jesus and they say, what then do you say? They ask Jesus, what is it that you would say? Verse 6. They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. If Jesus sets her free, he had a reputation for compassion. He was known for saying that he was the Savior for sinners. If he said to do anything but stone her, if he said to set her free, he would break God's law. He would go against God's word. And surely the Messiah from God would never disregard God's word. And so if he sets her free, he's not the Messiah. They know he's compassionate. They know he says he's the Savior for sinners. But if he sets her free, he disregards the word of God. He cannot be the Messiah. But if he says stone her, first off, he will break the Roman law by calling for her execution. But more than that, those that saw his compassion, those that saw him as the remedy for sinners would turn away and leave. And so when they bring her there, they think that they have caught him. When they bring her there, they think that he is stuck. When they bring her there, they think that they have won. There's no winning situation for him. The verse then says, but. It is the weirdest response ever. What are you going to say? What are you going to do? And it says, but Jesus stooped down and with his finger, he began to write on the ground. I want you to think about this with me for just a second. This is a good question. This is an important question. This, this really is an important question. It really is a conflict, listen to me, that must be answered. This is a good question that they raise here. It is, a, it is a conflict that must be answered. Here's the question. Is God a God of holiness, of justice, and of righteousness? Does he judge sin in justice? That's a question. Does God judge sin in justice? Well, listen to me. To be just, he must. If you overlook what is wrong, if you let go, let slide what is wrong, that's not fair. That is not right. That is not righteous. That is not just. If you steal a car and if you steal a car, I'm not pointing anybody specific, and we were to catch you and say, you know what, you stole a car, and we have our ordinance book in Ordinance 107.2, According to the law of the land, according to the law that we have, it is illegal to steal a car, and we've caught you, and you've stolen the car, and so you must be punished. You must go to jail. We uphold the law, and we take you to jail. But for this person over here, we say, well, it's okay. Well, don't worry about it. We're going to let you go. We don't want to get too upset about, you, about that, and we decide to let you go. Listen, that is not just. And so the question is, 
Is God a just God? Is he a righteous and holy God? And does he punish sin? Listen to me. He says that he is. He says that he does. That's what God says. Does God punish sin? Is he just? Or is God gracious? Is he merciful? Is he compassionate to sinners? Is he slow to anger? Does he forgive? Will he forgive? Because listen, he says that he is. He says that he does. He says his compassions are new every morning. He says that he is merciful, that he's slow to anger. He says that he is willing to forgive. Now listen, here's the problem. Here is the conflict. You can't be both. You can't be both. Either you're fair and you're just and you uphold justice and you punish sin or you're gracious and you're kind and you're merciful to sinners and you're willing to forgive but it is not possible to be both. Do you see the problem this morning? Do you see the conflict this morning? God can't be both. So what do we do? I see people and they love God's justice and they like his law. And they like to point out sin. They like to say that's a sin and that's a sin. And they like to convict of sin. They like to condemn others for their sin. And that is their idea of God. That's what he does. He's a judge. And he convicts and he points out and he judges sin. And that's their idea of God. I see other people and they love God's grace. And they love his grace so much that they say, well, you know what? He doesn't care about sin. He's not worried about sin. He chooses to overlook sin. Don't worry about sin. That's what they think because God doesn't. Listen, that won't work. That won't reconcile. What do we do? He can't be both. Which is he? Is he a God of justice or is he a God of grace? We have a conflict in our faith. All right, let's go back to the account. The Bible says that Jesus writes on the ground. Now, no one knows what he writes. It's been speculated about what he might have written there, but no one knows. No one has any idea. They ask him this question. He stoops down and he begins to write on the ground. There was an old church tradition. It's as good as any. I like it. And it says maybe he wrote the men's sins who brought her there. Liar. Prideful. Gossip. Adulterer. Verse 7. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and he said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Here in verse 7, they believe they have him. They're sure that they've got him there. And so he bends down and right on the ground. They won't let it end at that. They persist. And so they say, what are you going to say? What say you? They persist. They won't let it die there. The Bible says he straightened up, he stands up, 
And he says, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Now I want you to notice he doesn't excuse her sin. He doesn't say her sin is no big deal. He doesn't say it's okay, everybody does it. No, he actually calls for her judgment. He upholds the law. He says stone her. That's what he says. The only stipulation is let the one with no sin start it. Verse 8. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Verse 9. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Their calls for a decision, their, their loud heckling calls for a decision go silent. Their anger of the day, their anger of the moment turns into conviction. And they hope, oh, that somebody will throw a stone. But I can't throw it. I can't throw it. The Bible says that the older ones, maybe they were wiser or maybe the weight of their sins weighed heavier on them. The older ones first, they stand there. They turn and they leave. Another one walks off and another one looks at the ground and they see them walk off and another one starts to to move and they walk off and another walks off and another walks off and they, they shuffle out. They are defeated in their ploy. They are aware of their sin. They are quiet and they shuffle out. Another and another and another. They shuffle out. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? He stands back up. Where are they? It's it's quiet now. It's empty. They have gone away. The rough hands that had drug her there, they're all gone. The prideful, self-righteous hands that had placed her there, they're all gone. Did, Did no one condemn you? Maybe she can start to breathe again. Maybe her color starts to come back. Did no one condemn you? Verse 11. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. No one, Lord. Jesus says, I do not condemn you either. He says, go, listen to that. Go, there's no stoning. There's no scorn There's no lecture. There's no sentence to work off. Go. And from now on, sin no more. It it translates, leave your sin. From now on, turn from your sin. This is a good thing. It means a line has been drawn in the sand and that she has a new start. It means that in his grace, she doesn't have to go back to that sin. She doesn't have to be marked by that sin. You are forgiven. Just leave your sin. Don't go back there. She can make a new start. How is that possible? You see, the dilemma is still there. The conflict hasn't gone away. Is God just? Does he punish sin? Doesn't he have to punish sin to be just? Is he holy? 
Or is he gracious? Is he merciful? Is he forgiving? The problem is still there. I want you to see this. Listen very carefully. There is only one way to reconcile it. Listen very carefully. And it is in the one that now stands there alone. You see, he will go very shortly to the cross. Not for his sin will he go, but for her sin, for their sin, for our sin today. Not for his sin. He will go to the cross and there he will pay for it. Their sin will be punished and justice will be carried out, but not on the guilty party. It'll be carried out on Jesus. The Bible says the punishment was death. The Bible says the punishment is still death and he dies in the judgment of sin. Yes, listen to me, friend. God is holy. God is just. He punishes sin. He can't stand it, but he punishes it in the person of Jesus. But then that same one that's standing there alone also has the right And he's the only one that has the right to say, it is settled in me, I paid for it. And so I forgive you. My grace is for you. My mercy is for you. Friends, listen to me this morning. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is compassionate to sinners. Listen to me, see this this morning. And that can only happen in Jesus. He's the only one who can be both. The conflict is resolved in Jesus. God is just and he doesn't surrender his justice. God is perfect and he doesn't surrender his perfection. But he's merciful and he's gracious and he's kind to sinners. And it only happens in Jesus. Verse 8 says that Jesus again bent down and a second time he wrote in the dirt. Just like the first time, we're not sure what he writes. There's no telling what he writes. There's no way to know what it is that he writes. I know it wasn't in English. But I like to imagine what it was he may have written. I like to imagine as he walked off to Calvary, if you were to look there in the sand in the temple courtyard written at the hand of Jesus as he leaves and walks alone to Calvary, maybe it said, Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. As he walks out of that courtyard that day, he walks out alone And there he goes to the cross of Calvary where justice and holiness and grace will meet. He walks out alone, our wonderful Savior.
What a Savior. What a Savior. Let's pray. Dream Father, we come and we, we like to say when there was no way you made a way, we don't even understand. We don't understand how broad your gospel is, how deep your good news is. We, we don't really understand when there was literally no way. No way for justice to be upheld and served and no way for grace to be given to us in the cross you made a way. Oh, what love. Oh, what grace. Thank you, Jesus. What a wonderful Savior. Lord, I pray that today as we've heard this, this strange message of a wonderful Savior, I pray that today we love you more. I pray that today we embrace you more. I pray that today we're, we're thankful more. Lord, I pray for some that have never heard this story, never heard of this Savior, never heard of your grace, never received your grace. I pray that today they would turn they would seek forgiveness in you and they would find it. They would seek peace with God in you and that they would find it. They would turn to you and the grace of God would be made known through a risen Savior. Today they'd find you. Lord, I pray that you move today, that you work today, and that you're glorified in the result. We love you, Lord. We praise you. For your grace and your justice, we thank you. For our Savior, Jesus, we worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to conclude our service with a time of response, a time of invitation. And maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus for your, as, your, as your Lord and your Savior. Maybe you've never trusted him to handle the problem of your sin. The Bible says you have a problem in sin. We walk in that problem. We stew in the chaos and the drama and the craziness of that problem. We try to fight against that problem. We still have the problem. The problem, the biggest part of that problem is it separates us from a holy God who is just. The good news is Jesus made a way. In, in God's great, tremendous love, he comes. He pays the penalty for sin. He satisfies God's anger, his wrath, his judgment towards sin. And then as the only person that could, he offers us his grace. Won't you receive him today? Won't you turn to him today? Won't you trust him today? Tired of your sin, tired of the guilt, heavy under the weight. If you would turn to him, he'll save you today. Turn to Jesus today. Maybe you're here and you've trusted him. Maybe it was recently, maybe it was further back, but you've never followed in believer's baptism. And so you would need to come in obedience to Christ to say, you know what? I want, I want to testify to that wonderful Savior. And so you come as well. We'll set a great a, a day of celebration to be a great day of victory, of celebration, remembering, testifying to our Savior Jesus and who you are in him by faith. You come as well. Maybe you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it and believe God has led you here. You come as well. Together we'll serve united for his purpose, for his glory. Maybe on this day you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. For sure, pray for those that are making decisions in this service and in other places. We're going to stand to sing. I'm going to ask that no one would stir about, no one would head for an exit. This truly is the reason we came today, the most important part of this service, for people to respond to the truth of the preached gospel of Jesus. If you have a decision to make, as we stand to sing, you come on. As we stand to sing, you come on. You pray for those that are making decisions.